Thank you for your wonderful hospitality. I have enjoyed being here uh, with you all, getting to know your church family. Uh, I love the Lord and I love his people. Uh, it's good, always good, uh, to be with Christians. And uh, I really appreciate that. I want to thank you uh, for remembering me in your prayer tonight. That matters to me. Uh, I want to guarantee you I've been praying about the things I'm preaching, but it, it means a lot to me when the people who pray remember the preacher. Uh, my prayer is that through the things that we're doing this week, you'll hear the voice of God. Uh, I understand that he works through us, through our study and our personalities, but ultimately, my goal is to stay out of the way, and I hope I can do that. I got so tickled today. This is just for fun. This had nothing to do with this sermon. I was at breakfast this morning. Uh, had, a, had a great, I've really enjoyed getting to know Gary and Elaine, and this little girl couldn't, she just was so busy and having such a good time, and she, you know, I was, I was enjoying watching how busy she was. And finally, right before they left, she looked over. She had this big smile. And I thought, I'm going to wave at her. And she goes, you're bald. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to try to do a little different. I'm going to try to speak the truth in love, right? But she did speak the truth, right? Listen, if I'm lost, I like to cover the ground, like go back and talk about where we've been. So if I'm lost, what are the consequences? Sunday morning Bible class, I'm separated from God. I cannot fulfill his intended purpose in my life. I'm never going to see the beauty of heaven. I'm going to suffer the agony of hell, right? Here's the worst part of that. Lost people tend to take others with them, and it usually is people that they love, right? Those are the consequences. Who is to blame? Well, you can't blame God. I mean, how much more can he do? He gave his son. You can't blame Jesus. He laid down his life. You can't blame the Holy Spirit. He, he, he gave us all truth, right? And so, if I'm lost, it's because of me, because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and that wages of sin is death. We know that, but it's on me. Where do I turn for help? Number one, go to the Bible. Go, go to the Word of God. And we're going to come back and uh, emphasize that again tonight, but, but go to Scripture. Uh, I've got an autobiography on Mark Twain, and, and I was an English major. My degree is in English education. I was going to teach and coach, and, and I loved I loved to read and I love literature. But but he had this phrase about Christianity and politics: the all sufficient, everlasting people say. Everybody you talk to, they believe what they believe because somebody else believes it. Well, folks, we believe what we believe because of the Bible, and so go to the Bible. Go to your family. We should have Christian families, and I love that there's generations of faith in this church, that you can look at parents and grandparents who, who are walking that straight and narrow path before you, and that you're passing that on to your children. Uh, it's one of the things I think in our nation. We, we need to have families that are faithful, that pass their faith on to others, and ultimately go to the church. And... So somehow we have to change the way the world sees us. I think that there are people who believe that when they're really hurting, the last place they would want to go is to church. They're just going to make me feel worse. Well, I can tell you when, when my family went to, to church, it changed everything for me. Um, and, and Gary and I had been talking about some of these things. I know that there are some people who have been hurt by the church, and they have scars, spiritual, emotional, from the way a, a congregation has treated them. I'm not one of those people. Uh, I, look, I look back over my lifetime as a Christian, and, and, and you all are the, you're the shining part of my life. Um, where, where else could we do what we're doing tonight? 
and, and, and all be one in Christ. That's special. And I love the church. Now listen, there's some things we've got to do. If I'm lost, what, what do we say? What are the consequences? Who's to blame? Uh, where do I turn for help? But, but tonight, that, that question, I, I think I'm talking to Bible students. I mean, I hope, I hope there's somebody here tonight that, that needs to obey the gospel. I, I, I hope that we're planting seeds that will bear fruit and lead people to salvation. But, but I know a lot of you are already believers and, and Christians. And so this may just be a good review of a Bible study, how to lead others to Christ. But that question shows up over and over again. In Mark 10, 17, a rich young ruler falls on his knees and, and he asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, G Jesus is going to answer that question. That There are people today who say, do, do, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to tell you tonight, you do have to do something. And, and don't be deceived by, by popular opinion or, or denominational doctrine. Listen to, to scripture. There are things that in response to that question, there, there are things we have to do. In Acts 2, 37, this great gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2 that uh, we'll, we'll look more at that on Wednesday night and, and what Peter preached in that sermon. But at the end of it, they're cut to the heart and they say, you know, men and brethren, what shall we do? Uh, Saul of Tarsus in Acts uh, 22 10 what shall I do Lord uh, Acts 16 30 the Philippian jailer serves what must what must I do to be saved and that's that's the question we're trying to answer tonight and listen you you can you can go all through the New Testament and this is what's so frustrating and, and, and discouraging sometimes to me is that people believe things that aren't in the Bible and then they reject things that are plainly taught I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but infant baptism is not in the Bible. Asking Jesus into your heart is not in the Bible. Saying a sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. What is in the Bible? How does the Bible answer that question? It's a Bible question. And, and I want a Bible answer to the Bible question. Well, number one, you, you must hear the word of God. You must hear the word of God. Now, we're trying to be very logical and very methodical in how we're doing this. The reason you need to hear the word of God is because in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so uh, you're not here tonight. Nobody came here tonight because they don't want to please God. You're here because you want to please God. I want to live a life that pleases God. I can't do it without faith. I can't please God unless I believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How do I get that faith? Where does that faith come from? All these passages, I hope, are on your outline tonight. And, and it's, it's interesting because Paul asks some of the same questions when he writes to the Romans, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they're sent? And so you can't please God without faith. How, how can people have faith? How can they know that there is a God in heaven? And what he's, not just that, that there's a God. Somebody said, well, creation testifies to a creator, but creation doesn't tell us what he's like inspiration tells us what he's like incarnation tells us what he's like you want to know what God's like look at Jesus that's what God's like right and so 
you need this. It's verse 17. Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message. The message is heard through the words of Christ. We can't please God without faith. We can't have faith without Scripture. Scripture is what produces. I remember as a little boy, we were talking when I uh, visited with you as I came in. How long have you been in the church? I said, well, uh, probably about 10 or 11, we started going to church. And, and, they, and they brought Jewel Miller. Do you all remember Jewel Miller? Not the DVD, not the VHS. Do you all remember? Boom! <laughs> you'd advance the slide, it would ding, and then you'd advance the slide. I'm a little kid, and they turned off the lights for the projector, right? And I watch a picture of them stretching Jesus out on the cross. And in this little cassette player, you can hear the sound of the mallet hitting the spike. And I cried. Nobody told me that story. And I think this is, this is when faith sprang to life in, in, my, in my family. They came and told us about about God. They came and told us the story of the Bible. They told us about Jesus. Now, listen, this is the beginning point, but it's not enough. Hearing's essential, but it's not enough. James 1 and verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is disturbing because I think there are a lot of people who have deceived themselves. They have equated knowing for doing. And knowing, knowing, knowing and doing are, are two different things. My, my, my son is a, uh, he's gifted at delay. Do you know what I mean by that? I tell him to do something, he says, yes, sir. But he doesn't do it. A after I'm done with this game, all right. Uh, after, I'm, after I'm done with, you know, this home, where after I'm like, son, take out the trash. Just do it now, right? Then it'll be done and I won't be so mad. You know what I mean? And... I think there are people that come to church, they come to Bible class, they study and read the Bible, and they mistake knowing it for doing it. Some go home with a, a, a smug sense of satisfaction, I know. And you may know more than others. But, but the, God's not asking us to know more than others. He's asking us to practice what we know. And so we have to believe. Or we have to, sorry, we have to hear. I'm getting ahead of my, we have to believe. That's number two. Now, I want you to listen promises. We're going to talk about promises. We're going to talk about warnings. Promises for those in very, very well-known passages. But I, but I think it's good to just go back and walk through and, and, and hear it again, right? Uh, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, you won't perish. You'll have eternal life. I don't want to perish. We, we talked about hell on, on Sunday morning in class. And you can talk about fire, weeping, gnashing teeth, outer darkness. All that sounds terrible, but, but it's a place where God will not be. I don't want to be a place where God isn't. I don't want to perish. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. He's, he's not going to perish He's not going to be condemned. He's going to have eternal life. He's crossed over from death to life. And, and really, that's what we're doing in this meeting. If I'm lost, I want to move out of, out of the lost state into the saved state. I, I, I want to be saved. I don't want to be condemned. 
Acts 16, 30, uh, 31, we mentioned this. One of the people that asked the question is the Philippian jailer, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uh, he brought them out and asked that question, and they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, uh, you, and you will be saved, you, you and your whole household. Now, I, I believe that there's a word here for believe that, that is in the Greek, pastuo, which means uh, joyful trust conjoined with obedience. One of the most biblical songs we sing is trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. This, this is not my, one of my mentors, Brother Avon Malone, used to say that this is not just intellectual assent where you're just agreeing with the facts. It, it's more than that. But it's at least belief in the, in the truth that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so you, you, have, you have these promises. You, you won't perish. You won't be condemned. Uh, you, you'll, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life if you believe. You have warnings. This is to non-believers. In John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you don't believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. And we'll come back to Mark 16, you know, uh, 15 and 16 again. But, but listen, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. What happens to the one who doesn't believe? They're going to be condemned. I, I don't know what else it would mean to, for a person to die in their sins than to understand the person that dies in their sins is going to be condemned. There's promises for believers. There, there are warnings in Scripture to those who, who will not believe. Now, just, just like we said about hearing, you have to hear, but hearing's not enough. You have to believe. L listen, believing brings you up. This is going to be a little bit shocking, but it brings you up to the level of the demons. Listen, you, you believe there's one God. He says, good. This is James 2.19. Even the demons believe that and shudder. This is in Mark 1.24. Sometimes... When Jesus is casting a demon out of some demon-possessed person, the demon talks to him. And they know who he is. That's kind of a shocking thing to say. There are people today that don't know Jesus. But there were people possessed by demons, and the demon inside those people, they knew who he was. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. What's going to happen to them? Matthew 25, 41, he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Do you have to hear? Absolutely. You can't please God without faith. You, you can't have faith without scripture. Do you have to believe? Yeah, you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he's the son of God. And if you believe that, you, you won't be condemned. You'll have salvation, eternal life. You, you cross over from death to life. But you've got to do more than just believe. Listen, if I'm lost, I must repent. I remember Sunday morning. You, you, ever, you ever have somebody in a congregation that, that everybody kind of thought, he's never coming to God. You know what I mean? And then that person does, and everybody's really excited because somebody they didn't think they'd ever reach, actually God reached that person. 
And the guy that announced it, I don't remember the person's name, that, that I just remember how excited everybody was. And the guy got up that morning and said, he did a 360. Now, you think about it. <laughs> uh, that's not right. He did a 180, <laughs> right? But, but there are some that do a 360. They come to God, and then they go right back to the world. You, you need to, listen, if you want to be alive to God, you're going to have to die to sin. You're going to have to turn away from the thing that caused you to be lost in the first place. There's going to be a death before there's life. There's going to have to be repentance. And I want you to just walk through some of these familiar passages and just listen to Scripture. I don't know why in the past God overlooked ignorance. I don't fully understand all of that, but I know this. Now... He commands all people everywhere to repent. I don't know how you say it to make it comprehensive, all-inclusive. I don't know how you do better than all people everywhere. Everybody, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, they need to repent. God won't accept anything else except true, genuine repentance. That's a command. Now, here's the warning, and it's interesting because you see it twice, Luke 13, 3, Luke 13, 5, except you repent, I tell you, uh, uh, but I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. Now, listen, and I, and I think there's still a little, little bit of this going on in the world today. There, there are those who, who think if something really bad happens to somebody, is it possible that God, they were such bad sinners that, that, that God did whatever natural disaster, horrible death, that God did that to punish them because they were like particularly bad sinners. And so in the context, there's a tower of Siloam that fell and, and when it fell, it killed a bunch of people. And they, they started talking about that. You, you suppose that that happened because they were really, really bad people? And Jesus said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. Herod, and I, and I think if I'm understanding this correctly, it talks about he mixed their blood with his sacrifices. I'm assuming there's some idolatrous, you know, worship, and he kills people and mixes their blood in that worship. You think that terrible thing happened to them because they're worse sinners than everybody else? Jesus said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We tend to be people who are experts at seeing a speck in someone else's eye. It's a diversionary tactic, right? If I can magnify his speck, I can minimize my plank. And Jesus isn't going to let us get away with that. He says, no, unless you repent. Now look, this, this is non-negotiable. You must repent I'm amazed at people. I've done a lot of Bible studies, and I think I'm talking to really faithful, godly people that share your faith with others, that people think they can set the terms for their salvation. They're going to tell God what they'll do to be saved. That's not how it works. We'll talk, we're going to talk about Naaman the leper tomorrow night and some of the mistakes that he made that we can learn from. And I think he's one that did that. I'll come to you, God, but I'm going to come on my terms. If you're coming to God... You're going to come on his terms. And he requires that we repent. And he warns us. He, he commands us. He warns us. 
we talked about this Sunday morning when we said you can't blame God. He, this, is, this is his heart's desire. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How much do we want our children to come home? How much when, when our children leave the faith and, and they go into a worldly life, a, a life that does not honor God, that, that does not magnify Christ, how much do we want them to come back? Well, however much we want it, I'm telling you, we don't want it as much as God wants it. He wants us to come home. I think sometimes I've limited my understanding in thinking in terms of what God has saved me from instead of in terms of what he saved me for. I'm saved for a relationship with my father, that he, he loves me and he wants me to be in a relationship with him. But to do that, I have to turn away from the thing that ruined the relationship in the first place. I have to repent. There's a promise. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And, and I know that there are people that take Acts 3.19 and, and they lay it over Acts 2.38 and they say, you know, the, you know, the repent, the turning to God, this is, this is repent and bat, be baptized. Listen, can, can, it, can it just be repentance? Can it just be what it says? It's a turning back to God. And part of turning back to God is part of, none of these things, by the way, stand on their own. It's not some of God's word, S-O-M-E. It's the sum of God's word that is the truth. And, and I think we'll see that tonight as we put all of these thoughts together. But listen, there's something so refreshing about turning away from the things that enslave me. Being free from, from the... From the are there besetting sins? Are, are there things that we, we got ourselves into that we have a hard time getting ourselves out of? And then to really turn away from that and to have our sins wiped out and have a season or a time of refreshing that, that comes from the Lord. Um, restore my spirit. I, I mean, what a great song, right? That is, isn't there something that renews and restores, that's refreshing and uplifting and encouraging? That happens as part of the repentance process. Listen, if you're, if you're doing the same old thing over and over and over, there's nothing renewing about that. If you're sinning over and over and over, but when you're set free from that, when you really turn away from that, and that sin is not just forsaken, but it's forgiven, there's something really wonderful about that. I must confess now, this, this, is, this is not, I must tell everybody what I've been into. That, that's, I don't think that's what that's saying there. And there's room for that. I, I think that there are people in my life that have earned the right. Um, so, somebody defined intimacy as the absence of anxiety and the presence of vulnerability. There are people in my life that I can be vulnerable without feeling anxious. I trust them. Now, those people, they know things about me that I'm not going to preach tonight. Okay, but that's not what this is talking about. This is a confession of our faith. And I don't know how I wrote this on the outlines I prepared, but there's a relationship between confession 
salvation in what, what I'm going to describe as divine acceptance, okay? And so let, let's start with uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And, and, and a lot of these things, you'll, you'll see them joined together. You'll see repent and be baptized. You'll see believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. They're, they're, they're all kind of working together in this process as we're moving from being lost to being saved. But you have to believe in your heart, but then you also have to confess with your mouth. And that is linked in this passage with salvation. So what do we mean by divine acceptance? Well, th this is something that Jesus said that I think is really interesting, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I'll disown him before my, my Father who is in heaven. And, and I, I don't think that's hard to understand. I think if the, in this lifetime we're, we're ashamed to own our Lord. Don't we have, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord? What does that mean? I'm with him. I've declared my allegiance. I'm a, I'm, I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And if we do that in this life, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to, you know, give a defense of the things done in the body, whether good or bad, what's he going to say? Father, she's with me or he's with me. Why? Because we said, I'm with him. What, what if I disown him? What if I deny him? If I'm ashamed of him, if I won't confess him, I don't know him. Listen, there's something about being known that's really great, right? So uh, I don't know, it was uh, 90, 91. I was at a junior college in, in Villanova, Pennsylvania, and I had a teammate who said he knew Mike. I wanted to slap him. He talking about Michael Jordan. He said, I know Mike. I, well, he knows Mike, right? We go to, the, we go to a playoff game. Uh, Michael Jordan's coming to town. They're playing, they're playing the Philadelphia 76ers. And Johnny Dawkins uh, from Duke was the point guard. And he goes, well, I, I couldn't get in touch with Mike, but I know Johnny. Where at the players, you know, where they park their cars and go down a ramp, and he starts walking up to Johnny Dawkins. It was the coolest thing I ever saw. He walked up to him. The security guard walked up. Dawkins just went, just nodded at him. And the two of them walked down. My brother and I said, we're getting seats to this game. He got us in. He knew him. He knew him. I know Jesus. I can introduce you to Jesus. And when I stand before the Father, he's going to know me. I like that. I don't believe that confession is limited to what we do before we're baptized. I think we should do that. I think that's part of what it's talking about, but I think it's more than that. I think confession is an ongoing part of our life as Christians, is letting people know where we stand. Now, here's a really shocking thing. This, to me, this passage in John 12 is one of the saddest scriptures in the New Testament. Just, just listen to it. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than the praise from God. They believed in him. What, what if that belief came from they heard him preach and they saw his miracles and based on what they saw and what they heard, they said, hey, he's who he claimed to be. But they wouldn't confess it because they cared more about praise that comes from men 
than they cared about the praise that comes from God. I think there are people like that in the world right now. They're, they're secretly believers in Jesus, but they will not publicly live out that faith because they care too much about what other people might say or what other people might think. They're more concerned about the opinions of men than honoring God. That, that, that passage is tragic to me. I, just, I know there are people like that. And, and I, I, can't, I can't wrap my mind around why. Uh, somebody, some man's opinion would be more important than, than, than pleasing God. I, I love these confession, these examples of those who confess Christ confidently. In Matthew 16, I, I want you to not just listen, but watch how Jesus will narrow the scope in his question. Okay, So when, when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And, and now he's not, he's just saying, what, what's, what's the word on the street? I mean, what's the public feedback? What are, what are people saying about me? And some say, what, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now watch how he goes from what, what are the people saying to who do you say that I am? Well, you know, <laughs> Peter says you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. But I, I, think, I think that shift is important. And here's, here's the point I want to make about that tonight. I'm, I'm not asking you tonight, what, what do your grandparents believe? What does your preacher believe? The, you know, the, the most influential spiritual person in, in your life, what have they concluded? At some point, you have to answer this question. And your salvation isn't going to run through somebody else's pulley. Does that make sense? Um, I've, got to, I've got to read... The, the truth, the evidence of Scripture, and make up my own mind what I believe about Jesus. Mary and Martha lose their, their, their brother, uh, Lazarus. They're grieving about that. Jesus comes in John eleven twenty five through 27, and he tells her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do, do you believe this and I'm going to tell you I'm asking you that tonight do you believe this and, and she says with all all the faith she could muster yes Lord I believe you're the Christ the son of God who's coming to the world and that's the confession and if you if you want to be saved you have to believe in your heart you have to confess with your mouth now uh, up to this point we're getting along with so many religious people. They say, absolutely, you have to believe, you, you have to repent, you have to confess. But, but this is where a lot of people, they, they disembark. I don't understand. They, they, get, they move away from Scripture at this point. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to leave and say, well, that, you know, Tim thinks this or Tim believes that. It doesn't matter what I think. You're, you're not going to be judged on my opinion. Um, I, I've, I've read and I've studied and I, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but what really matters is what has God said in his word. Now, would you just listen to what he says and then you, you, you decide what it means, right? So I'm saying tonight, you must hear, you must believe, you must repent, you must confess, you must be baptized. I'm not saying you should be. I'm not saying it's a good idea if you do. I'm definitely not saying that you should get saved and then get baptized because I don't think the Bible puts it in that order. 
I don't think you're ever going to read the Bible where baptism is mentioned along with a promise and ever find a place where baptism isn't mentioned first and the promise follows. Well, let's put it to the test. Let's, let's read some examples. In Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are two commands. The command is to repent and be baptized. There are two promises for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That word for there. If you, if you go to, to the later chapters of Matthew's gospel where Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, he talks about how he's going to pour out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. For those that say the Greek word means because of, we're baptized because our sins are forgiven. You can't take that word from Acts 2.38, lift it from that context, move it over to, to the telling of that institution of the Lord's Supper, and then say Jesus died because our sins are forgiven. That makes no sense at all. We all know what the word means. He died so that our sins could be forgiven. And when we repent and we're baptized, we do that not because we're saved, but in order to be saved. I like preaching to the choir. That, that, that helps. Thank you. Uh, 2216. What are you waiting for? Every Sunday for me is filled with anticipation. I, I believe, I mean, on Sunday I could be preaching to five, 600 people at home. And to think that there's not somebody in there that needs a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And, I mean, I, I often think about what, are, what, are, what is it going to take? What are you waiting for? I, I like the question. It's convicting. It makes me examine myself. It makes me think about my, my, my walk with God and where I'm at in that relationship. He says, get up and you know, be baptized. Wash away your sins calling uh, on his name. If that doesn't mean that, that he needed to be baptized to wash away his sins, then I don't understand what it means. He, he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. He was destroying the church. When he, when he sees the bright light on the road to Damascus and he hears the voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Uh, my, one of my professors said any, any indignity heaped on the body is an indignity heaped on the head. Anything you do to attack the church, you're attacking the head of the church. What, what Saul of Tarsus was doing to the church, he was doing to Jesus. And he needed to be forgiven of that. He needed to have his sins washed away. And that's what he's commanded to do. Get up and be baptized. Why, what does the natural language in the text suggest? that there's a relationship with baptism and the washing away of sin. Mark 16, 16. Now listen, for those who, who want to know, what did Jesus say about it? Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. He didn't say whoever believes will be saved. You know, somebody, somebody worked, worked this out like this. Whoever, whoever is baptized is is saved and later they'll believe that's not what jesus said but that is a religious practice 
that there are those that are baptized in their infancy and told that they're saved and then they grow up and they go through a catechism of some and, and they become they, they develop a faith there are those that say whoever believes is saved and then they should be baptized well that's a denominational doctrine that we're all familiar with but Jesus and I think the order Jesus could have said it any way he wanted and he said it this way whoever whoever believes and is baptized will be saved First Peter 3.21, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of, of filth or dirt from the body, the pledge of good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But baptism plays some essential role in, in this process of becoming saved. Now, we mentioned this, and, and I, I'm, I'm doing the best I can to provide uh, all, all of the passages, so you can see them as we're discussing them. But I mentioned last night about you know I do a study, draw a circle, and put all the you know all the blessings, and and Scripture uses this language: salvation is in Christ, life is in Christ, hope is in Christ. Uh, you know, becoming a new creation is Christ in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, how do you get in Christ? And and, and we'll go to Romans six. Uh, three and four, don't, don't you know? Now, he's not writing to people who haven't been baptized, telling them why they need to be baptized. He's writing to Christians in Rome who have been baptized. He's reminding them what, what, what they did and why they did it. And, and he says, don't, don't you know that all of us who were baptized, listen, into Christ. H how did those people, not, not just people in Rome, but those people were in Christ. How did they get in Christ. They were baptized into Christ. Listen, they were baptized into his death. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, again, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt. I'm trying to help. Right? The, the reason I don't believe that, you know, sprinkling or pouring... I don't believe in that because baptism is an immersion. And in this passage, it's a burial. What happens when a person is baptized and they go under that water, they're baptized into Christ, they're buried with Christ, and they come up, guess what? The person that went in is not the person that comes out. Because the person that goes in is dying to sin. They're actually being baptized into the death of Christ in their sharing in the resurrection of Christ. When they come up, they come up to walk a new life. Somebody said, it's a, it's, it's, yes, it's a death. It's a new birth. It's a new birth. Now, I'm going to try to put all this together. Damon, you've done a great job back there. Can you bring up the next slide for me? Okay, so th this, this is just a trip we used to take because my wife grew up in Minko, Oklahoma, right? I told her, you know, I met her because as a, a student at Oklahoma Christian, they needed a preacher. And they'd take any kind of preacher they could get, and they got me. So, you know, I was early 20s, and I, I had a chance to, to preach, and I wanted to go practice, and they let me come. I could never find it. I got lost every time I could try to get there. I said they should have a sign, end of the world, 10 miles, Minko, 15. It's that kind of place. We got married, and we moved to Mount Vernon, Missouri, right? 
right between Springfield and Joplin, right off of 44. And we would make that trip all the time. When our kids were born, you know what they asked, how far is it? Well, when we were in Mount Vernon, maybe it was four and a half hours. We got to Joplin, maybe it was three hours and 45 minutes. You, you get to Tulsa, you're about two and a half hours away. You get to Oklahoma City, maybe you're 40, 45 minutes away. Why is the answer changing? You're getting closer. You're getting closer. If we can go to the next. We're on a journey from being lost to being saved. And the people that ask the question in Scripture, what must I do? Sometimes they're told different things. Why are some people told to believe and others told to repent? Why are some told about not just believing in your heart but confessing with your mouth? Why are there others that are told you've got to be baptized? Because they're at different points in the journey. Some, Some are told to believe like the Philippian jailer because he needed to know about Jesus. He, that's where he was in the journey. The people at Pentecost, Acts 2 and Pentecost, they just heard about the miracles of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. They, they already heard about who he was. They, they must have believed it because they said, what, 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 what now? What do we do? They're told to repent and be baptized. You know, Ananias didn't really want to go, right? <laughs> Lord, maybe you haven't heard about this guy. He's, he's attacking your people, right? But God says, no, he's my chosen instrument. Go, go tell him. You really suppose that Ananias had to tell Saul of, Saul of Tarsus who Jesus was? He just, he just kind of had an encounter with him on the road to Damascus. What about, what about repentance? What about, I mean, he's, he's fasting. And he's praying. He's at a different point in the journey. What we said a second ago, it's not S-O-M-E, sum of God's word. It's the sum of God's word. You You don't detract from baptism by emphasizing repentance. And you don't you don't detract from confession by telling people they've got to hear. When I was a little kid, I don't know how to do new math, I know how to do old math. You know, you just put the letters, the numbers together. I'm an English major. I just, I just put letters in math. That's algebra. That's where I flunked. You just put them in a column and you added them up. We must hear. We must believe. We must repent. We must confess. We must be baptized. What if I've had a response in the past and it doesn't look like what I read in the Bible? I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to do the right thing the right way for the right reason. I want to, I want to do what, what God says to do the way he says to do it. I want to do that for his glory. There was a couple that was dating. I think it was kind of bluegrass. He was in a band. And she tried out, and he was the only one that voted against her. (laughs) She got in. 
I guess he decided it was okay because he proposed to her. They decided they'd get married. But they were from different religious backgrounds. And they said, how is this going to work? You, you, you believe one thing religiously. I believe another thing religiously. How is this going to work? And they said, here's what we'll do. We'll read the Bible. And anything we find in the Bible, we'll, if that's something we'll, we're already doing, we'll keep doing it. But if we're doing something in our, in our you know, religious background that we can't find in the Bible, we'll give it up. If, if, if we're not doing it, the Bible says to do it, we'll start doing it. If we're doing it and the Bible doesn't teach it, we'll give it up. You know, they're happily married all these years later. And I want you to be in a happy relationship with God. If you open the Bible and compare what you've done in the past with what you read and the inspired word that God has given to us and say, if, if I'm doing something that I can't find in the Bible, I'll give it up. But if I haven't done something I do read in the Bible, I'll do it. And I, I, I just recommend you do it right away. You know, it would shock me to death if it ever happened, but, but I think it would be an amazing thing. You, didn't, you read these stories, people interrupted sermons that go, I'm ready. Man, that'd be, I'd, I'd love that to happen to me one time, you know. It would shock the living daylights out of me if it did, but would that not be amazing? If I was right in the middle of my introduction to a world-class sermon and somebody said, uh, hang on a second, would that not be amazing? Uh, I hope that what is happening this week is that God's word is working on your heart. And if, you're, if you have an honest heart and a good heart, that you'll receive the truth. Uh, there may be somebody here tonight that wants to come and do everything we just read about. Having heard the word, you believe it. You want to confess it. Uh, you want to turn away from sin in your life. You want to be baptized into Jesus, buried with him, raised with him. You want to, you know what? You want a new life. That never gets old to me, by the way. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we'll be renewed day by day. Starting over again is a great thing. I know I'm, I'm probably out of time, but I'm preaching now. I had a teacher in high school. We had chalkboards. Some of y'all don't, some of the kids don't even know what that is, right? And she had, she had a habit. Today we call her OCD, right? She would erase the notes she had a pail of water and a sponge. With a wet sponge, she would wipe down the board. Then she had a squeegee, I, I promise. And she would, I like her, by the way. This all works well with the way I'm wired. And she would, from the top to the bottom, and you would see that chalky water going down, right? We call that a clean slate. I like that. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life that I've needed that. There's only one person who can do that for you, and that's Jesus. And what we're doing tonight is we're inviting you to come to him as we stand and sing.